Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Level up human. The comedy science podcast souping up the homo sapien. Welcome to Level Up Human, the live comedy podcast panel show. And we are now recording live at the Barbican as part of their rewired session. If you'd like to learn more, just pop yourself down. They've got all sorts of things about improving the species with technology. And we're also having an Endocrinology Society special. Does everybody know what Endocrinology Society is? We'll be asking endocrinologists. They say it's in their blood, so we'll learn all about it as time goes. That was my endocrinology joke. I apologize. So, we are joined by our illustrious panel. On my left, seated here, we have our comedian and judge for the day. It is Rachel Wheelie. Hello. Rachel, we will have heard your words on Newsjack, on the News Quiz, and Listen Against, and you'll have heard her voice on Level Up Human Extra, an excellent podcast. Oh, it's a really I good podcast. Yeah. We're also joined by Claire Jonas. Hello. Now, Claire, you're a psychologist by background, but nowadays you spend your days explaining the ins and outs of cancer. Um, you also run the Thinking Feeling, which is the best pun for a blog I've ever come across. Thank Could you. Could you please tell us what the Thinking Feeling is? Uh, it's, it's actually that thinking feeling. Oh, that thinking feeling. Sorry. Um, so it's a response to me missing teaching psychology now that I have to tell people about cancer all day, which is a lot less cheerful, you might imagine. Um, so I just write on there basically whatever I want to about psychology, but backed up by science. So uh, I've written about ghosts and why people believe in them. Uh, I've written about superstitions. All I can think of is the Halloween-flavoured ones that I did. Uh, I'm really struggling to remember anything else I've ever written. Oh, uh, why you tend to turn one side of your face to the camera when you're doing a selfie. Oh, come on, tell us that. That has to be the secret. Because we will be taking a group photo at the end of this. Okay, basically, um, you tend to show emotion slightly more on one side of your face than the other. And that's useful because, uh, obviously, we like to see what other people are doing with their emotions. Helps us figure out how to react to them. So you tend to turn that side of your face towards people. Okay, so which side of your face do we lie most from? (laughs) Oh, that would be the left side of the face, if I have remembered correctly. I am really bad at left and right, though, so I could be lying right now, and you wouldn't be able to tell because the left side of my face is to you. (laughs) 
I was genuinely asking because every um, photo we have of me in my parents' house, I always have a really crooked left smile. It's pointing up more this end, and I think I was just faking it. So maybe I was getting this thinking out. So we're also joined by Miles Levy. Yay! Thank you. Hello. Uh, you are a consultant endocrinologist and an honorary associate professor at Leicester, um, and you're currently looking into a way of trying to trying to do a liquid biopsy to look into our blood. Can you tell us more about what this is? Because you actually want our people here to get on board with funding this too. Yeah, so this is, this is really cool. Um, so Leicester has a brilliant genetics department. And this is based on the principle that all cancers um, shed off cells that circulate throughout the body. So you can pick up tiny amounts of DNA that are very specific to that tumour. So in a few years' time, doing a biopsy of an actual cancer will be very old-fashioned. So you might be able to do a blood test to pick up a very early recurrence of a tumour. So we're looking at endocrine cancers to see whether we can pick up the cancers really, really early. So it's all very new. The paper, there's only about one or two publications in this, and we've got a whole load of patients that are very keen to take part. And the beauty of working in a, a university hospital is the, the laboratory um, we had no idea we were doing that work, uh, literally 100 metres away from where I do my clinic, so we can just give them the blood and the tissue, we've got the consent, so we're ready to play. It's great. So we just need money. So Rachel's going to be trying to make fun of do-gooders who are both trying to solve cancer. Yeah. Good luck with it's that. Very, very tricky brief. Yeah. 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 So now we've met our panel. Before we get into the realms of them pitching to try we are going to improve our species, which is the whole point of our podcast, we're trying to find Human 2.0 and redesign it. Um, before we get into that, we're going to look at what's happening right now. Each of our panel has brought along a new story. So can we start with you, please, Claire? What have you brought with you today? So I brought one from my day job, uh, and this is elephants are basically cancer-proof, which I was very excited to discover because I love elephants. Uh, the reason for this is that um, in all of our cells, we have some genes that are called tumor suppressors. They basically, if you make an error in making a cell that could lead to cancer, that gene sweeps in, goes, nope, crushes the cell, you move on, you make another cell. Humans have one copy of a gene that does that. Elephants have 20. So if a human cell goes wrong in this gene that can squish cancer from happening, then that's bad news because the cancer can quickly grow out of control. In an elephant, if that gene goes wrong, there are 19 others waiting to do the same job. This might be a hypothetical question, but I'm just sort of thinking because... Um, one of the reasons we could argue this might be the case is because elephants are big, therefore they have a lot of cells. They do. So is this a relationship we see across size? Like if we looked at something like a blue whale, would we find that they've got even more cancer-proofing tech? Uh, we wouldn't, actually. So this is something called Pito's paradox, which is basically the more cells you have, the more likely you should be to get cancer because the more times your cells have divided the more times you can make an error. Um, no one's really sure why different species don't have different rates of cancer, so why blue whales and elephants don't get much more cancer than humans. But they all appear to be doing it on different mechanisms, which is kind of strange. Are there any small animals that have these multiple uh, cancer suppressors? Oh, I can't remember the name of them, but there's some like tiny elephant relative. For some reason, elephants have tiny oh, hyrax. relatives. Hyrax, that's, that's it. I've seen them in the wild, they're amazing. If you go up close to them, they sound like video recorders. Like they sound like they're rewinding, <laughs> that is their call. That's the, uh, the cancer suppressing happening right there. Actually, the real difficulty is probably going to be explaining to half our audience what a video recorder is, actually. No, oh, this well. lot remember. Oh. No. Oh. <laughs> you do, and be proud of it. It means you're better, right? You so, even know how to wind up a cassette with a pencil. That is, when the apocalypse comes, 
We're coming to you people. That's all we need. So, sorry to interrupt. Do elephants not get cancer? They, they, they can get cancer, cancer, but not very often. How cool is that? Naked mole rats don't get cancer either, do they? They're yep. very small, so what's that all about? Uh, again, probably the same kind of thing as elephants, quite closely related to them, apparently. I've never ever thought about that. How cool is that? Rachel, what is your news story? Uh, I have tardigrade news, guys. Does anybody know what a tardigrade is? Yes. Anybody not know what a tardigrade is? Okay, imagine a very small croissant, <laughs> right? Like, smaller than a speck of dust. Small pink croissant with legs, right? That's a tardigrade. Uh, I mean, correct me. Do, do we actually know they're pink, or have you just added that? They are always pink in the pictures. They're always pink. They're, they're, they're coloured in in the pictures. Oh, no, they're, I'm prove, not saying they're black and white in real life either. But I'll prove that they're pink. They're called moss piglets. Okay, fair enough. They're so also they're called water bears, though. Pink. They're pink. Okay, okay, go for it. Tell us anyway, what your tardigrade is. Anyway, so tardigrades are amazing um, in that they can survive almost any apocalyptic scenario you can think of, um, and they've been found in, like, really deep ice and really hot deserts, and uh, they, can, they can basically decelerate their own biology to uh, an incredible degree to the point where they've been put out in space and they just go into something called anhydrobiosis. It's my science word for the day. And, um, and, and they can do that for 10 years and then they can re, just like reconstitute themselves and carry on as if nothing's happened. Um, and we've talked about them quite a lot on the podcast and we're very excited about yeah, them. Yeah, we love tardigrades here. But now um, Harvard Medical School have caught up with us. So Harvard Medical School are looking into uh, how they do this and apparently they have some proteins that we don't have, and that allows them to slow down their biology. Now, the exciting thing about this is if we can synthesize the proteins, we could uh, save somebody who's just had a stroke, we could save somebody who's just had an amputation, we could send humans into uh, space in stasis, we could do all kinds of exciting things. So um, the, the futuristic tech people at DARPA have just given Harvard Medical School a load of money to look into this. What do you think, guys? Can we just turn ourselves into kind of like biological pot noodles, rehydrate later in life? I would be super into growing a lot of extra limbs. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I think maybe 15 or 16 would be enough, but I'm not, I'm not sure. This is not about turning ourselves into tiny croissants. This is about... This is about... I didn't like, say tiny. All I'm thinking is, I've, because I drunkenly booked some tickets to sing along a greatest showman which I now have to go to on Saturday. And all I want to do is, is slow my biology down and sort of hibernate through it. And it's exciting to think that I might be able to do that. Is this just you or is there going to be other people there? Oh, there'll be loads of people there. There'll be loads of people there who are loving it and then there'll be me. Oh. We feel your pain. Miles, what's your new story? What have you brought with you? Right, so this is the hormone endocrinology edition. So I, my breaking news story is that the pituitary gland is the most underrated gland in the whole body. It is the, it's the size of a pea, and it is the conductor of the endocrine orchestra. It controls every single hormone in your own body. Hang so on. My, endocrine orchestra. Yeah. The endocrine orchestra. So the pituitary is a conductor, and the orchestra is the thyroid gland, the adrenal gland, the ovaries, the testes, the pancreas, all the glands in the body. And... One thing I can't understand, which is why it's such breaking news, is why every patient, every person knows what the heart is. 
everybody knows what the lungs is, but whenever we see patients with pituitary disease, it's, it's very under the radar. So my breaking news story is that the pituitary gland is the most important part of the body, and yet the most misunderstood and ignored part of the body. So I'm here to celebrate the pituitary. Okay, can you tell us actually more about, uh, just quickly, so we do understand why it's important, can you tell us what happens when it goes wrong? Yeah, well, so if you have a, the most common uh, problem with the pituitary is a pituitary tumour, which are benign, which is fantastic, which means we're, we're the first thing we tell patients, they have not got cancer. And actually, you get really cool pathology. So, for example, acromegaly. Acromegaly is a condition which is the Greek for large extremities. And this is a growth hormone secreting pituitary tumour. So if you get this before puberty, you get massively tall. So Robert D.H. Watlow, all the people in the Guinness Book of Records had gigantism. Uh-huh. Uh, and this acromegaly, lots of famous acromegalics, Richard Keel, Jaws from um, James Bond, um, Andre the Giant from The Princess Bride, Herman Munster, Lurch, they all had acromegaly. Um, and in fact, one really cool, shut me up if I'm going too no, much. No, no, more endocrinology. Yeah. We had a patient uh, in Leicester who, went, who was six years old and she went from the shortest to the tallest in her class within six months. Mum had to buy three different pairs of shoes. And she came to hospital with a sudden onset of headache and problems with her vision. And her uncle had acromegaly and her other uncle had acromegaly. And we discovered this gene uh, through Marta Corbinitz, a professor at Barts. And it all dated back to the circus giant in Derry in Northern Ireland, the gene for acromegaly, and that is the whole myth of the giant's causeway. So there's this myth in Derry about giants, and it all comes from the gene for acromegaly, so it's true. Now, now if you're going to explain away my lucky charms as well, I'll be disappointed. No need for that. So that is what is happening right now, but we're going to now get into the future. Our guests here, our experts, are going to give us pitches as to how they would change the human species. Then we're going to go to you, our lovely audience, for your ideas. Rachel, you're getting to judge. So before we get into this, can you tell us what kind of thing are you hoping to hear from these lovely people? What I'd like to hear is uh, ways that we can have more control over our brains and our bodies. Because I think like my brain and body are working against me a lot of the time. Like, I want, I want more control. I want to be able to say, okay... You want to take back control, Rachel? Is I want that what to, you're saying? I, I mean, I don't know why you're politicising my, my perfectly reasonable uh, thing that I want to... I just feel like if I... Switches is what I want. Switches, right? So I just want to be able to... Like, for example, I've got to clean my bathroom, just switch off my brain's ability to procrastinate for an hour so I can just get on with it. Um... I've, I've had my kids. I don't want kids anymore. Uh, let's just switch the fertility off. Let's get rid of that I for a bit. I thought you switch your children like, off. That's I mean, bad. Yeah. Ideally, a mute button for children would be perfect. Um, uh, could I make my memory better and just be like, could you just remember where I've put my keys this time just for 20 minutes? A bit more control. That's what I want. Okay. So that's the kind of thing. Claire, do you want to go first? Tell sure. us your idea. Pitch to us. Make, tell us what you think should be in the next human. Okay, I think I can help you with the memory thing. Excellent. So, my pitch is this. Everyone should have synesthesia. And now people are going, what synesthesia? Which is normally what happens. Okay, so this is a completely harmless, possibly even helpful, neurological condition where your senses get mixed up. So, you might... Uh, see colours when you're listening to music, you might taste words, or in my case, you might see 
the calendar and numbers and letters of the alphabet all laid out in space in front of you, which is hugely useful. So we're not going to let that go by. You said in your case, so can you please tell us a little bit about your experience of synesthesia? Okay. I'm afraid I have a kind of boring synesthesia in that there aren't colours everywhere. It's literally just when I think about for example, the calendar, it's laid out in a kind of moustache shape in front of me, um, and everyone's birthday that I know is on it. Uh, so, so it's pretty you, useful. Are ah. you, yeah, is it actually useful? Can you, can you tell us, or look, are you the, the ultimate friend as a result of this? Yes. Well, in fact, I have a friend sitting in the audience, and I did successfully remember her birthday the other week. Yeah. So. Wow. Thanks to a moustache. How cool is that? <laughs> so does that mean you can visualise what a month and all the birthdays on that month and then move to another month or can you see it all as a whole year spread out? I typically see it as a whole year spread out but I can zoom in on the months if I want. Wow. Yeah. That's like a proper functioning brain. It's great. I wish I had one of those. So that if, would be amazing. So if this is what you're suggesting as like a, a thing for everybody to have and you're also saying you've got the rubbish version, can mm-hmm. you tell us what kind of, what's the best case scenario? What, why actually should we all want synesthesia? Okay, Uh, the best case scenario is you have lots of different kinds of synesthesia, so not just you see numbers and months and whatever in space in front of you, but also they have tastes and colours and smells, and it sounds like it could be really confusing, but in fact it's not for most people who have it. Uh, If they have multiple kinds of synesthesia, they normally say it's pretty enjoyable. Sometimes it gets overwhelming, but you soon figure out how to sort of avoid situations that might trigger it or uh, turn it down, I guess, you little turny down synesthesia dial, which I don't quite understand how it works, even though I did experiments on synesthesia for like 10 years. Um, in that situation, it's really useful because synesthesia can improve your memory. And the thing is, it's restricted to the kinds of things that are involved in your synesthesia. So the more types of synesthesia you have, the better your memory in all these different domains. So if the human race all had synesthesia, yes, this would be a mixing up of the senses. Yes. So how do you, in an ideal world, how do you see this working? Drugs. Just lots of drugs. <laughs> so, okay, if one of our audience here... Well, so they, we here. don't have to take them anymore? Or what, what for fun? Or okay. I don't understand. So arguably, um, when people take psychotropic drugs they experience synesthesia. So when I say psychotropic drugs, I mean things like LSD or ayahuasca. Um, They can cause your senses to kind of start melting together. Not in quite such a um, static way as they do in synesthesia, but it's still pretty much like it. So we could just give everyone drugs, then they'd have synesthesia. I don't think I've thought this through properly because the drugs and the the synesthesia are going to cancel each other out and then the memory doesn't get any better. We're going to have to go with hypnosis. Okay. okay. For everybody, forever. Yes. Right. Um, okay. So, so in this next stage of humanity where everybody can taste shapes and see sounds and smell... Colours? Words. Colours. Why not? How does this help us? So, the memory, as yeah. I said before. Uh, oh, so because you've, you've got a more clear way of imagining things and connecting ideas together and stuff exactly like so okay. if i'm struggling to remember what someone's name is i might remember oh it's a green name that means it begins with a green letter green letter must mean it begins with b or v 
probably this person's called Betty or Veronica and not Sarah. You can train your brain that way anyway, though. You don't need to be able to smell shapes and yeah, you, you can words train. and all of this stuff. Like yes. So the, the hypnosis would basically be a bit of a shortcut, but you can train your brain to become synesthetic. The problem is it's pretty boring. You have to sit in front of coloured letters and numbers for like 10 minutes a day forever. I'd like to ask, because one of the things that I find interesting here is, like, so uh, I have a very, very poor sense of smell. I got my nose broken when I was younger. And I wonder if I could use something like synesthesia to kind of enhance my capabilities. Now, my reasoning here would be that we know that our senses are not just in our periphery. Like, we don't just see with our eyes, we see with our brain. So could I perhaps smell in my brain via sight? Can we use synesthesia to compensate for senses that are lost? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so at the minute we do this kind of thing with a piece of machinery called a sensory substitution device. So uh, for example, you take a webcam image, you convert it into a soundscape, you listen to the soundscape. And this can be really useful for blind people, for example. So you lose your sight, you've still got the use of your ears, and you can use your ears as though they were your eyes. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't internalize that and make it so that you can just encounter any sensory information through any sensory organ. Yes, Miles, you've got a problem here. Well, no, no, the first time I think I first time I've heard this phrase was I've just been to Uzbekistan of all places with a pituitary surgeon who has synesthesia, and he says that when he sees someone hurt themselves, he feels the pain himself. That's what. But he says when he sees a patient and the scan, and he, he got expelled from his schools. He's a very cool guy, a bit of a rebel. He's now the best pituitary surgeon in the country at Oxford. His name's Simon Cudlip, and he when he plans an operation, he goes through it the night before like a video in his brain, and uh, he thinks very visually, and it's, so in terms of why well, it's a good thing, it's completely, not only to help your cause or anything, but it's completely <laughs> helped him in terms of pituitary surgery, because he knows every single stage of the operation, because he's gone through it, through his weird brain the night before. Wow. I don't, I don't want to feel other people's pain, though. I'm, I don't mean I'm losing all empathy here, but like, I could never watch You've Been Framed Again, for instance. I was gonna say, like is that. this not just, that's empathy, that's not synesthesia. Right. Mm. Well. I mean, those are two different things? They are. are. they not? So this is a thing called mirror touch or mirror pain synesthesia, depending on what oh, you feel. Right. And we do know that it correlates pretty well with empathy. So uh, the, the more empathetic you are, uh, the more you tend to experience other people's pain. And for some people, that seems to cross over into actually experiencing it. So potentially, this is a downside of your idea, which is that everybody would feel everyone else's pain a lot, and then there would be no more Tories, yes. and then what would we do? <laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. That would be, that would be awful. Okay, it's in. So, okay, this is, this is on the shortlist already, Rachel. Yep, You've been won in. over. On the basis that politically, we're going to be better off. Yeah, Miles, more empathy, I'm, I'm on board with that. Miles, you've got a hard job. Tell us, what is your pitch? Can you beat synesthesia? Yeah, so there's loads of things to do with hormones, but there definitely needs to be a better version of testosterone. Okay, it's a crap hormone. It could be improved so much. So testosterone is obviously the, the male hormone that uh, takes you through puberty. So what is the point in uh, children being incredibly stroppy and annoying when they go through puberty? That's testosterone. I can't see an evolutionary advantage of that. Your your wish to switch on and off things. So the difference between the neurological system and the endocrine system is obviously the neurological system is an immediate thing that you can switch on and off at any one time, like your synesthesia, whereas the endocrine system, by definition, as you said, it's in our blood. It's a slow release of hormone that goes around the 
produced by a gland goes round the circulation and has an effect somewhere else. It's a slower acting. So, but adrenaline is a very useful hormone because when you want to fight or flight, adrenaline gets kicked on. Um, testosterone, okay, has got so many people into trouble. I mean, when you're out and about with a bit of alcohol, it would be incredibly useful to be able to switch off testosterone to reduce one's libido at, at um, demand. In the same way, I think it would be very useful to be able to switch on your libido and testosterone when you need it. So I think it's not uh, controllable enough at the moment because we rely on the endocrine system. The other thing I was thinking with testosterone, what is the point? It, it causes baldness in men. It causes men to have a hairy back, hairy ears, um, and hairy nostrils. And I cannot understand the evolution, you being an evolutionary biologist, what is the evolutionary advantage of testosterone doing that to a human being? For the it hairy back and things. Yeah. So there is a slight argument that a lot of these things uh, are deliberate signs of age. And it could well be that if, if you've lived longer, you've shown off that your genes have been good enough to get you through for that age. So this is actually some of those things. You know the, the idea of the peacock's tail? The peacock's tail is so, so big and flashy because it's a literal pain in the ass. It's, it's, a, it's a sacrifice. It's showing that I'm so, so good that my genes can get here. One of the things that happens to peacock's tails is they get longer with age. So it could be that basically looking like you've got hair coming out of everywhere, this is, is a, a very sign. sexy look, yeah. right? More is to it, hang on is to. Is it, though? Yeah. It's bad. Uh, well, so I don't... That, those two things don't... Your theory doesn't work. Unless oh. you find back hair and ear so hair very So it's not just sexiness. Attractive. Because, like, you've yeah. probably done a fair whack of your procreation by that time. It's probably the rising status in a tribe. I'm only going through this from gorillas. And gorillas are not a good thing. But gorillas, the more testosterone, the hairier their back. So can you explain why women at the age of 50-odd go through the menopause, estrogen levels suddenly drop? Presumably yeah. that's an evolutionary thing to mean that mammals do not want to leave their children on their own so that your mum dies when you're, when you're about 10. But So why is it okay for blokes to have children? Men don't go through the menopause, we don't think. Um, the andropause doesn't exist. So why, for example, can Mick Jagger have children at the age of 75? Why is it okay for your dad to die when you're 10 and not your mum? What's that all about? So basically because mums are better. Uh, <laughs> And actually, more importantly, so this is into my kind of area in a way, it's actually grandmothers are better. So the thing that you really want to keep alive wasn't just parented, it was the grandparents who've got the knowledge. You remember the last time that there was a famine and they had to eat those weird berries. So old people are basically libraries of the past. I'm not saying we've got Wikipedia now and we should get rid of them. I'm saying they are a, a repository of knowledge that we have to keep there. Anyway, why are you interviewing me? Well, this is not my I'm wondering where this pitch is going, Miles. Yeah. I mean, are we talking about... How are you going to improve testosterone? So, yes. basically, I would like to develop a human that can switch on testosterone when you need it, switch off testosterone when you don't need it. It doesn't cause male pattern baldness. It doesn't cause hirsutism. Every Thursday morning, I see patients with a condition called polycystic ovary syndrome in women who have increased hair growth on the face and spots. This is all a side effect of having excessive testosterone. And I cannot see the evolution advantage of that it causes a lot of misery for women so I would eliminate the androgenic or the the, the male pattern features uh, in women and the other thing I would also do which would be easy is if you could have a sudden surge of testosterone and switch off your pituitary gland LH and FSH which is how the contraceptive pill works high doses of estrogen ah. why can't men do that suddenly have a burst of testosterone it will increase your libido it will switch off your sperm count and then there'd be no need for any unwanted pregnancies and contraception it'd so be amazing you're, you're suggesting basically ultimate Viagra 
where yeah. it makes the, the body willing, but also makes the body incapable, like in terms of reproduction. Yeah. That's ideal. Although... A contraceptive and a helping hand, as it were. Right. Yeah. And we're talking, like, have one every morning, are we? And yeah. you think we'll still go to work, do you? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. on demand. But, yeah. of course, erectile dysfunction is very different from having a low testosterone. So, um, ah, tell us more. Well, for example, we get referred many, many men who have suggested to their GPs they need their testosterone checking, and testosterone is often low for numerous reasons, but you can put two and two together and make five. Often the, the cause of problems, for example, with erections and libido is to do with life, psychology, and not to do with having a low testosterone. And there's been an explosion in giving testosterone uh, drugs uh, because of the pharmaceutical industry can make money out of it. And so there are, there are lawyers in America specifically designed to sue doctors who are giving testosterone unnecessarily because it can contribute to prostate cancer. So, so it's a can of worms, actually. How so dare they? Yeah. Are we eliminating testosterone altogether or are we just making it switchable? Oh, we're controlling it better. We're having ultimate control like you do adrenaline. So you can switch on and off testosterone when you need it so it doesn't cause unwanted high libido when you don't want it and it doesn't cause unwanted low libido when you do want it. But so you can't control your adrenaline, though. Well, you can in certain... Si it's situational. So it's, it's a very protective fight-or-flight reflex. It comes on when you need it, usually. Well, or when you've just seen some horrendous news story that you can do nothing about. True. I have, I have a question. So if we're going to have, or men are going to have a testosterone surge every morning, does that mean every morning men will lose all their hair and then somehow miraculously it will grow back before the next morning? Yeah. So you'd probably need to design the structure of the molecule, actually, if, if you're going to really play eugenics because uh, testosterone is a steroid hormone which works in cells and has a very slow mechanism of action so if you wanted it to happen like that it would need to be a peptide hormone to work very very quickly so I think it's a good thought because you know if, if it was a peptide hormone you could change things much quicker to your own advantage so very very good point. I'm not sure what a peptide hormone is but yeah. can you I mean protein, you protein. protein hormone. Work, so peptides work on cell surface receptors and steroids work inside the cell. Right. I'm or a, bit, a cyclist. I'm somewhat lost at this point. But we're, we're saying, so, so we're going to have uh, a daily testosterone pill, which is going to control, control the testosterone and stop men having too much hair and stop young men beating up one another outside nightclubs. You've nailed it. Stop At infidelity. Two in the morning. It'll stop infidelity. It won't stop infidelity. Come on, Miles. You could switch off the <laughs> testosterone. You're in a nightclub. You see a beautiful girl, you're, or a, the other way around, or bisexual. You know, whatever trisexual, and you can switch it off when you don't want well, testosterone. The, the thing is, it controls libido in women and men. Yeah, that's the whole point. We're talking about this like it's a male hormone, and it's not. It's a hormone for all. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. good point. Okay, so it's for everybody. So everybody has this uh, yeah, absolutely. thing. absolutely. Mm. But men go to doctors when their testosterone is low, and women go to doctors when their testosterone is high. So men never complain of having a high testosterone, and women never complain of having a low testosterone. And they should. That's what we've learned here. Men so we're all going to be on a more even keel. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Basically. Nailed it. Nailed yeah. It. Okay. So, does this make the shortlist? It makes the shortlist, yeah. Oh, yeah. do you know what then? That's two from our panel. Can we give them a round of applause, please? And now, you, our lovely audience, it is your turn to show up these people. I want you to shame them. I want you to give us better suggestions. Those of you who have just joined us, what we're doing here is we're trying to redesign our species, make a better human. So I want your suggestions as well. If you wouldn't mind, put your hand up, because then we're going to get our microphone. I can't get a microphone all the way up to you. We've got a vote for it. We've got a question from the balcony. Can you shout it down for me and I will repeat it. So your question is... If we lower testosterone, what kind of effect will it have on elite performance of athletes? Or if you can switch on and off testosterone. So it's a big contentious area in sport at the moment because testosterone is massively common in doping in sport. Okay, so I see loads of men that come to see me in clinic who can't have children and they come in with huge uh, physiques because they're on anabolic steroids. So they switch off their ability to produce sperm. It's a big um, drug of abuse in cycling and other sports. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a big contentious area. Castus Semenya, who has a, a, a sex disorientation disorder, 5-alpha um, reductase, so she's basically got very high levels of testosterone. The question is, is it fair for her to compete? Although she's genetically female, she has a testosterone similar to a male. So is it fair? You're on a sort of ethical question. Is it fair for a female with a high testosterone level to compete against a female with a low testosterone because you are potentially at a more advantage in explosive exercise. And, you know, you think about the Paralympics, uh, there are grades of categories depending on your physical uh, physique. So, absolutely, you look at people like Serena Williams who clearly has a much higher testosterone than somebody who looks less... Um, sort of large muscle, fast twitch muscle fibers. So there's no doubt that there is a link between testosterone and sport. And if you could switch that on to be explosive for a 100 meter race, it would be fantastic, rather than drug of abuse. Great question. We could also argue, of course, sport isn't fair. Like, you know, that's probably a thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've banned sport so far, guys. Well done, everybody. Uh, I'm not sure eliminate about sport. That. I'm writing that down. Well, tell you, we might get, if we get time for that. Sport. Because we do have to get into our audience's pitches. No, Thank well, you. That Can we give us money? Huge round of applause. That is one of the audience pitches. Eliminate sport. Yeah, you might not have meant that, mate, but you've just pitched eliminate sport. I don't know why. <laughs> That's winning so far. There's, there's no retractions on this podcast. 
Our lovely audience, what are your suggestions? If you have one, get your hand up, because I will have to come to you with this microphone. And we have one at the very back. Hello, could you please tell us your name and tell us what your pitch would be? How would you change the human? Hello, my name is Scary, and I'm upset that there are many things on the planet I cannot eat. Um, I would like to take a tip from the termites. The, uh, you might be able to help me on this. There is, a kind, uh, there is a subsection of termites who can't digest cellulose on their own, but have bacteria inside them that help them digest cellulose. I think we should get an internal population of bacteria to help us eat bloody anything and That's survive great. the upcoming apocalypse. I like that a lot. I feel like that would solve quite a lot of problems about waste. If we could eat anything, plastic would be gone, just broken it down already. Are you saying we'd basically all be goats? That's, yeah, okay, cool. We'd, I'm down we'd with all that. be termites and we could eat absolutely anything at all. So, any waste, but we just, you wouldn't be allowed to recycle or put anything in landfill. The council would just say, just choose your least favourite family member <laughs> and get them to eat it. I think there might be a slight problem with this, which is, is a, th a thing of scale. And the question would be, why have we gone straight to termites? Because there's lots and lots of mammals even which use these bacteria you're talking about as a means of digestion. No, no, it, no it's cool. It's really, really cool. But the question is, are we all going to be the size of cows? Because it's a size thing, maybe. Where do you keep all these bacteria? Hmm. Can we outsource it? Sort of. Let's just all have like a digester in our kitchen. You know, next to the Nutribullet. Wait, are we going to be eating pre-digested food or do we just not digest anything anymore? I'm, I'm kind of confused No, we can here. digest anything at all. I could eat this chair right I, now. I would like to see just, that. I mean, that would be a good end to the show, right? It's, it's quite a finale, but the Barbican will not be pleased. If, our, if all our audience starts chewing the furniture... You send, send the manager to me and I will consume him. <laughs> Cannibalism is our new thing. Can we give Scary a huge round of applause, please? And um, importantly, Rachel, is that on the shortlist? Oh, hell yeah. Termite belly. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Uh, any more ideas from the floor? Oh, yeah, we've got one right here. Please tell us your name and what your suggestion is. I'm Neil, and I'm just wondering if there's any advance in facial recognition technology that would help me at parties. Oh, yeah, that's oh. a great one. So this is you and the Chinese state, as far as I can tell. <laughs> so what do we think here, panel? Do you have problems remembering people's names or faces? Is that the problem? Yes. yes. I, I Agnosia. I, I get it spot on first time, or... I just, I'm lost. Okay, sorry, I got very excited there because I got an opportunity to say a complicated Greek word again. Um, this prosopagnosia, um, face blindness uh, in, in everyday English. Uh, basically, some people are really bad at recognizing faces and on the other end of the scale, we've got some people who are super recognizers. They're really good at recognizing faces. And uh, those people occasionally help the police to apprehend criminals, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm not actually sure how practically we would make more people super recognisers. That must exist because, you know, you go from yesterday or when I got back from skiing last week, you, you put your passport thing in and it recognises it as you. So all you need is everybody's passport scanned into your phone and put your phone and it will tell you who it is. Side Perfect. note, mine never recognises me. I think it's the glasses. It, and occasionally I've had humans look at me afterwards and be very, like, they'll look between me and the passport. And we, just we, we could sort of argue that this, in a way, is what social media kind of is. It is it's a reminder. And I, know, I don't know if this is true, but I love it as a story, and I'm going to tell it anyway, but the ancient Romans 
used to hire slaves for this precise purpose. Yeah, they did, didn't they? So maybe you just need a slave, mate. This is the answer. What did they do? They'd hire slaves that would go, who basically would wander around and go, that's Tim. You met him at the office party. That's what you, that's what you need. I don't think we should reintroduce slavery. I'm, I'm going to veto this. I know it's not my role. You can't veto this. But I want to. <laughs> okay. However, I would feel bad saying we're not vetoing bringing back slavery. We're not. So it's, it's on the list. We not can veto this. Slavery. Uh, so when you're, when you're at a party, you want to be able to recognise absolutely everybody immediately so that you can then... You know, I have the opposite of that. I have a thing where my brain recognises people that I don't know because it's tired. And so it will just go, that's your mate Dave, that's your mum, that's blah, blah. And then I get really close to them and I've already hugged them and it turns out it's not them at all, it's somebody else. Um, I, so I don't know. I think that's this might be yet another fancy Greek word. What's that? Pareidolia. I'm not actually sure if I'm saying that right, I've only ever read it. What um, does that mean? Basically, we have a tendency to look at things that are vaguely familiar and go, oh, that is familiar. So, for example, the man in the moon, the face on Mars, um, when people see faces in rock formations, that kind of thing, that's pareidolia. And clouds. And clouds, yes. Just uh, getting back to the pituitary gland, which is what I'm here to plug, (laughs) uh, acromegaly, which is this condition of excessive growth hormone, is very underdiagnosed, and you can pick it up through facial recognition software. So you can, if you, if you uh, again, through passport photos, you can pick that someone has a, a frontal bossing, broad nose, and large ears and a large jaw, that will pick up a condition called acromegaly, which will potentially save your life because it will stop you having heart disease early. So there is facial recognition software that to pick up medical conditions. That's happening now. I think what we're saying is, don't worry about it. You'll get a heads-up display in between 15 and 20 years. They'll do it for I, you. I reckon you were just at the wrong party. It was next door. Like, that was all it was. <laughs> so does that make the, uh, the, the list? Uh, I think it says, face remembering slaves. You voted for slaves. No, no, right? no, 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 no. We're not, no, we're not bringing back slaves. Okay. Uh, face recognition at parties. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Okay. We should be better at that. Can we give, was it, it was Neil, wasn't it? Can we give Neil a huge round of applause? Thank you very much. I think we've got time for maybe one more from the audience. Yeah, one more. So far, everything's on the shortlist. Oh, hello. Please tell us your name and what your idea is. Hello. Uh, my name is Liz, and I, I was just thinking, based on your idea to control testosterone, it sort of came up in my mind that it would be kind of cool if we could control our adrenal glands and we could sort of switch them on and off at will because I'm sort of thinking from the mindset that, you know fight or flight response, sometimes it triggers when we don't sort of want it to and we get like, you know, too much adrenaline being secreted. So in my eyes, if you were in a situation that was stressful, um, you know, like speaking in front of an audience or something like that, and <laughs> just like what is happening to me right now, very ironically, um, if you could just, you know, switch off your adrenals, prevent that fight or flight response, don't have that excess adrenaline being secreted, in a situation that is act- that you don't actually need that adrenaline for, because I think that'd be really interesting, and you know, it would sort of maybe take away the need for drugs such as beta blockers. And I'm a pharmacologist; I'm very interested in drugs. Um, <laughs> Any excuse to hear that, fine. <laughs> so I think that could potentially be really cool, and it could help the human species as a whole a lot. Well, you're in the right place tonight because we we have Miles here first. What was your name again, sorry? Liz. Liz. What is, do you think of Liz's idea here? How could we actually practically do this? How could we fix adrenaline the same way you want to fix 
testosterone. Yeah. So, Liz, I think that's brilliant. Uh, remember, the adrenal gland has two bits. There's the adrenal cortex, which is the outer bit, which is the slower endocrine system, which secretes cortisol. Uh, cortisol is a steroid hormone. And so, for example, in chronic stress, high levels of cortisol are associated with diabetes, heart disease, bad things. So chronic stress is bad for you, bad for the body. Um, the adrenal medulla, which is the inner bit, is the neurological thing. So that's the fight-or-flight adrenaline one. So actually, through evolution, taking it back to Simon's evolution biology, you need both, because if you're a zebra and a lion attacks you, okay, uh, you're going to have to run away from the pack, fight or flight. So the adrenaline gets you away from the pack, but then because you're going to be away from the pack, you need the slower cortisol to mobilize glucose, because you know you're not going to be near your food. So you do need both. So I think it's a great idea, but there is clearly a survival necessity to have both. And, uh, and one would worry, when you see elite sportsmen and elite singers and actors, they always say the time they worry is when they don't have any adrenaline, presumably comedians, the time you don't have adrenaline before you need to perform is there's something, there's like a starling curve that if you're on the tip of the curve, it's perfect, but if you're over the curve, it becomes destructive. So what you probably need is a mechanism to make sure you're not tipping over the curve, that you're just here at the sweet spot. So we were talking about uh, being able to switch the adrenal glands on and off. Is that the pitch? switch them on and off so you're saying but don't forget there's a neurological bit of that well it depends whether you want to switch on the, the adrenaline bit which will you know so for example in clinic i see patients with a condition longest word another long greek word called pheochromocytoma which stands for dusky colored cell it's an adrenaline secreting tumor of the adrenal medulla and patients have massive panic attacks high blood pressure and it can cause sudden death and the treatment for that is to give alpha and beta blockade as you know well as a pharmacologist uh, so it would be very helpful to be able to switch on and off the adrenal medulla in that respect because it would prevent sudden death. But I, whether you want to switch on, on and off the slower system, I'm not sure what how What if you forget to switch it back on? I mean, this is what I'm concerned heating, about, right? I, yeah, and then... I, I might have the solution for you both, and this is partly because uh, I currently have a problem with the cistern in my toilet, um, and it's got that, it's got that, you know, that tube which goes off and then just all the excess water drains out an overflow pipe? Is Maybe we just need an adrenal overflow pipe. Ah. Like, could we actually do something like this? Like, it's a basic, Miles, basically, if you get to a point where you've got too much adrenaline or you think you've had too much, you're aware that this is now anxiety rather than a flight or flight response, you can just kind of like drain it off a bit. Like yeah. bleeding a radiator, maybe. We put it onto a nipple, and you just turn it, and then you're... It's a brilliant idea. In fact, there's an interesting thing about music and hormones. So there was a study showing that... Um, Classical music um, lowers cortisol levels, so surgeons perform better when they're hearing classical music playing on the radio because it lowers cortisol, makes them more relaxed. Whereas rock music causes botched operations because everyone's a bit hyped up. So, so you're sort of reacting, your cortisol levels, uh, it'd be helpful to be able to have a filter to siphon off it when you want it rather than responding to the external stimulus. I like it. Doesn't that depend what kind of surgeon you are, though? And what kind of music? What, what kind of rock music? if you're a surgeon who's just really into doom metal then, and finds it relaxing? Yeah. Would you want that as your surgeon? Maybe. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'd be more comfortable with that surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> I know a few. Um, you wouldn't okay, be able so to tell if it's the drugs or not, though. That's the thing. 
For a second there, I was worried we were, we were sliding into a rival podcast called Level Up Toilet. But, <laughs> but no, I get it now. It's, it's an overflow pipe for the adrenal glands. Oh, yeah, a- that's actually, cool. I should check. Liz, are you, are you happy with my amendment of suggesting there's an overflow pipe? Yeah, I like it. And it actually got me thinking as to how that would work. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can put it anywhere. Your choice, you know. Uh, I think it'd be really cool, for example, if in the adrenals themselves you had receptors for adrenaline. So it was kind of a self-limiting system. If you have too much of it, it kind of can sense it on its own and be yeah. like, yo, so, let's stop that. So the adrenaline medulla is one of the few things that is not controlled by the pituitary gland. So yeah, it needs its own conductor. Oh, so you've just given them the excuse to say we have to give the pyre to the pituitary. I should have known. Here we go then. Question is, though, is Liz's suggestion on the shortlist as well? Because uh, currently yeah. everything is. Yeah, every, everything's on the shortlist. I'm having a, a difficult time deciding which one, but, um, but everything's on the shortlist so far. Okay, can we give Liz a huge round of applause, please? <laughs> so, ladies and gents, we're running low on time, so this is the point where I'm going to get to make my pitch, because every week we also do a thing we call Splice of Life, where I look to nature and try and see what genetics I would like to pinch from other creatures on the planet. This time I'm going to go with this creature. Can you please describe it to our audience at home? It's a zebra. <laughs> it wasn't that hard, was it, in this case? Yeah. So, research has come out in the past couple of weeks to show they think that maybe one of the reasons, at least, for the zebra having stripes is to stop flies and parasites landing on you. Now, I've been on holiday to Scotland. I've experienced the midge firsthand. I think it would be really cool to be stripey, to avoid such things. What do you think, panel? Stripey to avoid being landed on by midges? Yeah, actually, if you want to ever look up the research paper, please do, because what they did was they put stripes onto a horse, and it basically looks like a horse in PJs. It is amazing. Mm. Look it out. So you're wearing a striped top now. So oh, well, if yeah. you did the experiment and suddenly got transported to a midge-infested area, and then you stayed there for a few hours and then wore a, a white top, you'd be able to work it out. So this, this top isn't quite good enough. They think it's the high contrast basically acts as a kind of dazzling. So we'll keep any of these things away. I think if we, if we make future humans stripey and then they all wander around cities stripey, it's just going to look like the most rubbish camouflage attempt that's ever happened. We're going to make a mockery of ourselves. I'm not into this. You could also cross the road anywhere you wanted. Well, or you, yeah, that's true. Okay, that's a better reason to be stripey. I, I'm not sure. Do, do we need to do this to the skin? Because I think you might just have invented stripey pajamas. We could just wear stripey clothes. Yes. And then we'd match the horse. Perfect. This is not an upgrade suggestion. This is a fashion. So why are there not more stripey animals? How many? Are there any other stripey animals? Um, well, quite, quite a few. Yeah. yeah. And for most of them, it's what we call disruptive camouflage, we think. But in the case of this one, they think that this is at least one of the drivers behind it. It's right. not on, You'll be it? delighted to learn that I have not accepted one onto the shortlist. Oh. Now it's not going on. I'm sorry. Oh, it's just oh. rubbish. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, okay. Look, it's, it's that time that we're going to make our decisions. Uh, you've, you've still got a hard, hard lot. This is really difficult because there's a lot of ones, so all of which match what I asked for. Yeah, so you've taken this on board. So they? there's, there's um, synesthesia for all would technically like in, allow me to improve my memory. Would it help if I told you that Lady Gaga is a synesthete and therefore you would be more like Lady Gaga? Yeah. 
Okay. I'm convinced. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Um, we've got adrenal gland control and we've got testosterone control. So all of those are kind of what I asked for. Um, but I'm going to go for eliminate sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has taken a sudden turn. So we're going to... How, actually, I'm going to ask for some practical uh, how... Other than sacking PE teachers, which a lot of people would be favour for anyway. I just think, like, let's, let's, let's get rid of it. It's not, it's not helpful. It's, I mean, basically what I'm doing is I'm, I'm sucking up to our audience, who are not sporty people, let's be honest. And, uh, and no, they're not. Look at them. They're not. And, um, and I just think, like, let's, let's be done with the whole competitive... Let's just get rid of competitiveness, generally. And, I mean, I might be building my own suggestion I'd argue, here. but I'm not very competitive. No, good. Well, that's, you know, that's why we're friends. Yeah. So, uh, I just... And then I wouldn't have to uh, lose half of my family on Saturday afternoons to football matches, mm. take my son to football on Saturday mornings and all of that tedious stuff, so... Am I still going to be allowed to cycle home after this? No. Okay. Fair enough. You ha- everybody gets Ubers everywhere now. Ubers for all and sport has gone. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard our suggestions. We're going to take that. We're going to add that to our genome like the jam in our genetic doughy, donutty body. Um, but before we go, a huge thank you to Miles Levy, to Claire Jonas, to our comedian Rachel Wheely, to our wonderful audience here at the Barbican Live Free Wired and to the Endocrinology Society for supporting us. Can you all give everybody, our wonderful audience, a huge round of applause? That was Level Up Human. Hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Physiological Society. This episode was created with the help of the Society for Endocrinology, a world-leading authority on hormones. For more information, go to levelupyoumen.com. Good news! If you'd like to see us live, we're in the middle of a residency at the Barbican in London. So please join us on October 28th or November 7th. For more information, go to levelupyoumen.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.